Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the podcast for cosmetic, wellness, and business insider knowledge. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, a cosmetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, David Segal, an entrepreneur and a multi-clinic owner in the aesthetic space. We'll cover any topic that makes you look or feel good with long form, unbiased, and unfiltered conversations with expert guests from around the world. New episodes are released every Friday and you can subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. How are you? You've got a little studio set up going on there. I, well, I have got a studio set up and I thought, you know what, you told me on your fact sheet to have the good mic, so I'm not wearing my ear pods. I oh, wow. Be- we're dealing with a professional now. Well, a podcast professional. I, I don't want to say that we were the inspiration, but I believe we may have been part of it because you've got your own podcast now. Totally were. You were totally the whole thing. Oh, JL and I walked out and we're like, what the fuck are we doing? Why aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> they're, like, they're like, these two idiots can do it. Yeah, yeah. If they <laughs> can do it, anyone can, exactly. Can do it. The two blondes can absolutely do it. Um, and you guys actually talk facts and real stuff. We talk crap. We've got no idea about I've, anything. I've listened to a couple of yours. They're very entertaining. It's good. Uh, it, it feels like more like a, a free-flowing radio show rather than a planned podcast, which is good. And that's the market that we've somehow landed up in. And that's the stuff that people are writing about and saying, you know, it's real life and we can identify with it and you make us laugh. We've got some lady in Spain who we're teaching English to our podcast. She said, she wrote to us and said, I'm learning English. And I said, do not use our English because it's very bad, (laughs) very slang. And do not speak like this, like we do. But yeah, we're having a ball with it and we're doing really well. We're about to kick off with Channel 7. We might be doing a generational TV show from it. Wow. Very exciting. Kicking goals. See, well, they've no, over. T- like, we, we showed them how to do it, and now they're on TV, and we're just stuck here, David. <laughs> well, we'll have you on. We'll have you on the generational. Sure. Gap. If you need someone to bring um, you coffees or whatever, <laughs> we'll help. Yeah, to be on the I'll, boys versus the girls. Yeah. Jake, Jake and I can do hair and makeup. No problems. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, maybe not hair. What do you know about hair? <laughs> oh, it's all boy, theoretical look knowledge. Look at that. Look at my hair. It's so bad. No, you're looking great. When was the last time you caught caught up with your hairdresser about months ago? No, it was. No, it was. I was due 10 a.m. on the Sunday before lockdown happened on the Saturday night. Yeah. And I won a radio competition yesterday, actually. I rang today FM, Dave and Husey and Erin, because they had a call out who deserves the most haircut. I was like, my hair's got anesthetic Mm. of 10 hours of surgery. I deserve a blonde hair and a colour. And Mm. I won. Yeah. We want to talk to you about all this stuff, but just – um, we might just do a little bit of an intro for the listeners. Just re-intro. To re-intro for Grizz. So, well, we thought Jake and I were having a discussion around podcasts and lockdown and some interesting chats. People are in a weird headspace at the moment, whether you're sort of vaccine or anti-vaccine or whatever, like we're not here to talk about that, but more about how the lockdown is affecting people, both from business perspective, psychological perspective, emotional, family relationships, you know, fear of the unknown, anxiety, the list goes on. Jake, how are you feeling? It's so weird. Cara McDonald, one of our previous guests, she's a dermatologist, she called me today and it it was nice. It was like the mental health check-in. A a lot of friends have been calling to be like, they literally say, this is the mental health checkup. How are you today? Mm. You know, and it's it's nice to share stories, even though, you know, Victoria have had it worse than us. She's down in Melbourne and it's just weird. I I don't know how to put it, but I'm trying to remain positive in the Mm. fact that people have had it worse than us, like Melbourne or UK or America, like Mm -hmm. things there were crazy terrifying. Whereas here it's just frustrating. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to maintain positivity that it's not as bad as it could have been. Yeah. Well, we're not in Afghanistan with the Taliban. Oh my (laughs) God. When you (laughs) mean stuff like that, that is. It's harrowing. But so that was the point of the discussion to have you back on Grizz and, and try and provide a positive space for people to come and listen for an hour and a half and maybe take away some tools and, and thought processes to sort of get by the next, I don't know, one month, two month, who knows? Christmas. Yeah. So just to sort of orientate the listeners, could just tell us a little bit about your background, who you are, what you do, and then let's let's jump in and find out more about what's been happening with you and let's discuss some of these strategies. Mm. 
Okay, well, we're probably in about 10 hours. And, you know, <laughs> like always, when I hang out with you boys, we just chat, don't we, when we go off the scale. Hi to you and your listeners. First of all, it's an absolute privilege to be asked to be back on the podcast because you guys are the inspiration for my podcast. So I'm just giving you a shout out right now early on. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, Gregina Marita Fechner, as some of you know me, I have been in the aesthetics industry for, oh gosh, 16 or 17 years now. I have a business front and center training solutions. We have a podcast, Mind the Gap. And most of all, I like to call myself the queen of positivity and I've just named myself that. However, in saying that, my crown is starting to slip to one side as a lot of people's are even in this positivity space. You know, there are some days and we'll talk a lot about it today where you do not have to be positive and it's okay. And we'll also talk about toxic positivity because there's a lot of area where, you know, you've got those friends and they're constantly saying (laughs) everything's great every day. And I was one of those and I'll give you a real life example of when I, you know, encroached toxic positivity into my family at detriment to it. So most of all though, uh, I love to chat and I love to make people feel good. And however that looks for anyone, you know, we'll talk about tonality, we'll talk about smiling and the world smiles with you. I'll give you some cool stories in that space as well. And the people who met, sorry, who missed your first two podcasts, mm. which is quite a while ago. Yeah. I can't remember which episodes, but um, we will reference them in our um, podcast description. What What's your formal background in, in training? What do you do day to day normally? Yeah. So day to day, I do run a company. So I do um, learning and development, everything from sales training right through to presentation skills, negotiation skills, media, journalism, uh, keynotes are a big part of it. I started off as a primary school teacher, interestingly enough, in PE. And then my career overtook me. I ended up in pharmaceuticals and then ended up in oncology, hematology, metastatic breast and bowel cancer, then on the government lobbying for um, section in hospitals to get um, oncology drugs through. So it's a really, varied background uh, and a lot of not really too many letters behind my name. (laughs) That's fair enough. Now I'm going to reflect David's question back to him about Mm. how he's feeling and then I'm going to ask you, Chris, because I know you've had a bit of a a bit of a rougher ride than most potentially in this this lockdown. But David, how are you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling okay. Look, I mean, I think that um, there's a lot of people doing it really tough and I think it's easy when you sort of find yourself in a situation where you're uncomfortable, you're un, in uncharted territory to to sort of go into that negative space. But I think that I'm just trying to remain calm and just roll with the punches as much as I can. I mean, I, I sort of flip-flop on, you know, is this the right thing? Is this the wrong thing? You know, I think that the governments are probably scrambling as well. I don't think they have all the answers either. So I just think it's... It's a clusterfuck. Isn't that what it's called? Yeah. Isn't that what it's referred to? Do you like that word? You use that yeah, in the last podcast. I do. It's just, it's, it's word of the month. So <laughs> you might be hearing it a couple more times, but yeah, just trying to remain calm and, and positive-ish yeah. and just, you can't control what's happening. I mean, all you can do is go out and get your vaccine. I don't know. And, and follow the, the guidelines. I don't know what else you can do really, but business is going to be an interesting one. That's what sort of weighs on my mind. I think for me personally, I've, you know, got a good home life and lots of support networks around me. It's more for me, my stress is what's going to happen to my businesses and what's going to happen to the economy in the next sort of 12 to 18 months. Those are my stresses. Mm. And how about you, Grizz? From a Business perspective, first of all, like how how has your company dealt with all of this? Yeah, it was really interesting. When the first wave hit last year, we just went, oh my gosh, we've never done an online program in our life. We didn't know what Zoom was. We didn't ever use Teams. So we had to, and I hate using this word, pivot. It's Mm. an awful word and everyone's using it, but we had to change the way we did things. And we're like, if we don't move with the times, we will die there and then. And we moved with the times and we had a really successful year last year. We went into places we would never have gone into by truly changing our mindset, going from our fixed mindset of, well, we don't believe that training can be done online and we don't believe that people learn to let's open our mindset and go, how do we make the best of this situation? And how do we give people motivation and inspiration when they're online? And companies say to us all day, every day, babysit our teams because we don't know what to do with them anymore. We didn't want to be the babysitters. We wanted to give them value and add value to their day. So we wrote new programs. We learned Zoom. We all of a sudden were running keynotes and we went into unmarked territory, into places we would never, you know, we're training in India now. We're training in Singapore and they were places we would never have done. So first wave was phenomenal because we chose to embrace it. Yeah. We had Melbourne, one of my business partners is based in Melbourne. So that was quite horrific. And our team are also, we've got a team in Melbourne. And so their mindset and their inspiration and their want to get up every day and do it struggled a whole lot. So the other teams in the other states became that motivation for the internal team clusterfuck. 
as you say. Uh, And then this one hit this year and we were booming. We had conferences in Hayman Island. We were traveling back to Singapore when we could. We, you know, we had all of these things booked and then within a heartbeat, it just fell apart at the seams. So we are now in a space of going, we had performance reviews last week with our teams and they're seeing the calendars with everything dropping out. Yeah. So their worry is you know, on their performance reviews, you know, they were paid bonuses. And and one girl said, Chris, I won't take my $12,000 bonus if it means that I can stay working for the team. Now, stuff like that mm. is phenomenal. And yeah. I said, you've got mortgages and you've got, you know, your bills to pay. We would never, ever not do that to you. Now, we have given them to Christmas and said, if things don't change, we are looking down the barrel of Christmas time. We've got enough money to support all super and everything else that needs to be done until Christmas. But after that, we are in the same space as everybody else, I think, who has a small business thinking, what are we going to do now? So we're starting to do online videos and we pray that, you know, in the next few months, we keep on challenging ourselves to coming up with anything that we can do and just rolling with it. Yeah. What's been the, the biggest adaptation that you've had to make from, you know, you're, you're very much a people person. I can tell, you know, we've had you here in person. It's great having you on the Zoom, but you've got such a contagious, positive energy about you. I'm curious as to how you've had to adjust your um, delivery and the challenges that you've faced from moving from someone that's very much into the one-on-one or the, the, the in-person experience, moving to Zoom and, and sort of virtual uh, discussions and, and, and um, conferences and all the other amazing things that you do. Yeah, horrific. When I first started doing Zoom, I was trying to still be animated and I still stand when I present to anybody. And uh, I do a lot of coaching with doctors at the moment. So last year, doctors were having to present congresses and keynotes via Zoom. So I did a lot of stuff coaching all different doctors, certainly in our industry. And the biggest thing they said was, Chris, we never see anyone stand when they do Zoom. And I literally stand up and present. And they said, just that change has made them. And I'd look into their setup and I'd fix their rooms and they felt confident. So the one-on-ones I found really good because we still got that interaction. Doing Zoom in groups, I would do the program And normally after a session, we'd go out and have morning tea or it'd be lunchtime or it'd be afternoon tea or a conference, we'd be going to dinner. So I got no feedback. And that's when my whole world came crashing down because I live for when we walk out of a session, someone says, because in that session, we did that or they'd ask a question to me offline, whereas on Zoom, no one wanted to do anything, and especially in the early days. So I was producing all this energy and I'd finish the session and put down my laptop and I'd walk outside and cry and go, I don't know if that landed. I've got no idea how that went. I had no face-to-face or feedback and I really struggled with it. So what I then had to do was I then had to ensure that there was the next time and they'd have to write me something back of what they're doing and what they're changing through things so that I got that feedback and I still felt like there was something happening. And still to this day, I leave a, a keynote and I hang up and I think I've got no idea how that landed. And it's really tough. That's exactly how I felt. I've done some webinars over the last year and, you know, there could be 100, 200 people online, but you've got zero idea of how the, how it's landing. And you're sitting there feeling like very monotone for an hour and a half talking basically to yourself. And you kind of stop at the end and you go, uh, I have no idea if everyone's fallen asleep, if they've logged off. Are they loving this? It's it's a weird uh, feeling. So I, I I definitely advise to do some polls to keep people engaged and and try and get some feedback live so you know if you need to tweak it. But yeah, Zoom is odd. Yeah, definitely, definitely odd. Now, Chris, from a personal perspective and COVID, just give us some insight of what's been happening in your life. Yeah, so I had my routine blood tests um, at the end. Of- December 15 last year and I got a call from my GP saying there's something wrong you're not making any neutrophils your blood's at 0.6 you have to get to a hematologist straight away they said we'll triage and see what happens so I ended up on December 19 at the hematologist and they said oh look we've got to do some bone marrow there is something not working you need to go into isolation you need to cancel all Christmas plans and everything from a routine blood test just went nutso so um, I spent all of Christmas at home had my bone marrow they said look you haven't got leukemia but there's something going on Anyway, fast forward to now, and I've just come out six weeks tomorrow uh, on the other side of Whipple surgery. So they found a tumor in my pan- uh, in my pancreas, wow. and it was in the head of the pancreas, and it was very large and had changed. And anyway, within two days, so we were in COVID. I was doing everything, and I got a call from um, Chris O'Brien Lifehouse and one of the surgeons, Dr. Jerome Lawrence. He rang me on Monday, 
And he said, oh, Chris, we're going to operate on Thursday. I was mm. like, well, this is insane. Um, and all of a sudden I had all these programs and I had things happening and COVID and my family and everything just sort of went into this crazy far out, I'm just doing it. And then I got a call from him Tuesday morning saying, we've moved surgery forward, you're coming in. Oh, wow. Um, and what was the most horrific thing in, in all of this was I had to say goodbye to Dean and Jamie Lee at the doors of Chris O'Brien um, at six o'clock on the Wednesday morning. I they couldn't come in and sit with me until I was having, I literally walked in by myself and the hospital was still dark at six in the morning. I remember walking through going, oh my gosh. And initially they didn't want to do the surgery because they said that I wasn't strong enough to survive the surgery. So they said, Chris, at the moment, your bloods are too low and it's too risky. And then the hematologist said, look, we'll do whatever we have to do to get Chris ready for surgery mm. because I had no choice. It was either, you know, stay or go. And either way, it wasn't a good option. So I thought being positive, you know what, this is meant to be, I'm meant to have COVID. Everyone's put COVID on for me so that I can actually stop and rest and take the time to recover without hopping on a plane and jumping somewhere. Because I can tell you if planes were flying, I would be on that plane in my Ugg boots right now, carrying my two kilo laptop bags. That's all I'm allowed to carry it. Yeah, I don't know if anyone knows what a Whipples is. It's one of the biggest operations you can have. It's a, it's a majorly invasive operation. Risky so too. Risky, recovery, all of that. So well done on your recovery. And we're just amazed that you're here. It was, what, yeah. six weeks ago, I think? Coming up to, not yet. Yeah, wow. tomorrow. I know, so five weeks and six days. Yeah. And I can put my hands in the air. You guys can't see me. Your listeners can't, but my hands are in the oh, air. Oh, we I'm might put this up on a video. <laughs> they, they might see you. Um <laughs> So how, how has your recovery been and how have you maintained such a, a positive mindset? I mean, this situation is obviously stressful on you. It's stressful on your family. How do you get through it and how do you remain positive? Yeah, I just wake up every day and go, I'm the luckiest girl in the world. And I think I had the best medical team. And, you know, you're in a place where everyone is so positive around you. And that's really important. Find your team, not even medical but whoever is around you, try and have positive people around you because the positivity energy flows, you know, positivity is infectious and it's contagious. And the more you're around negative, down, sad people, you just end up down and sad with them. And I think because I had this team that were willing to do everything they could to keep me alive. Uh, and then I had my family that were just saying, well, mum's survived everything. Uh, and what is even more extraordinary is Going back three years, we've had my poor husband had a massive um, heart attack and had open heart surgery, and then he had a brain tumor the year after. So oh we've gone three years in a row with um, open heart surgery at the RPA. Then he wasn't recovering, and we found out that he had a brain tumor in his frontal lobe. So we then had to have that removed, and we've just recovered from that. And then we had, you know, now poor Grizz has gone into Whipple surgery and lost half her tummy, half her pancreas, her whole gallbladder and her whole duodenum. So, you know, you look at us as a Fechner family and think this has been three years. So people that have been in lockdown for, you know, however long, we feel like we've been in lockdown for the last three and a half years. So when you wake up from that surgery and you think, far out, if we can survive all of this, there ain't nothing stopping us. So, yeah. yeah. This can sound a weird question, but having, you know, your health to worry about rather than COVID, has it kind of weirdly taken your mind off all of this lockdown nonsense or are you juggling both problems? Yeah, I think I'm still juggling COVID more than me. I think the COVID's yeah. taken, I don't even think about my recovery because I'm thinking about from a business perspective, um, my team and the lockdown in Melbourne curfew again last night. So every day I'm not reminded of my illness or my surgery other than I can't sit upright yet because I've got the scar all the way down my belly. Um but other than that, I don't even think about it. I think, and I can't drive, so I can't escape into my five-kilometre bubble, but I'm still, COVID still overruns it. It's really interesting, but that's the answer. COVID is still forefront of my mind, not me recovering. Um, I guess we'll preface the, the the main part of this chat by kind of discussing lockdown as a whole. We sort of touched on it, sort mm. of talking about our own sort of experience, but what is normal to feel like right now? I mean, there are so many people frustrated yes of course but i don't know if there's any fear anymore i'm not sure uh whereas in the first lockdown people were scared because we didn't know what what we were dealing with so what should people be feeling at the moment i, I just think there's a lot of confusion well it is confusion and i think the media has caused a massive amount of confusion and if you could take back re-message everything people wouldn't be as confused i think people in sydney are fearing more this time around than what they were last time when you start looking at, I mean, Sydney didn't seem to have it half as bad. And we look at numbers go up every day and we're looking at 15-year-olds dying of meningitis with an underlying COVID positive. So I think the fear in Sydney is great. I think Melbourne are done with it. They've had enough. They're in 6.5 of lockdown. So they don't fear anything. They're out being a bit more rogue than what they have been. 
And I think most of all, though, my family are fearing COVID because they're worried I'll get it and I'm not allowed to have the injection yes. for two more weeks. Jamie Lee, my daughter, had AZ the other day. She's like, Mum, I just need to be safe for you. And I love the young people in Sydney. Everyone's like, bring on the AZ, bring on something to get us back out to normal. So I think Sydney are fearing more than what Melbourne are, whereas Melbourne were fearing it so much more last year. And it's normal to feel fear and it's normal to feel sad and anxious and worry because we can't have, we don't have an answer. Right, so your brain is frantically trying to control something that it can't control. And you made a really good point early on, Jake, is you're just trying to control it, but you just can't. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think my mood's kind of gone up and down because there is no end date. I mean, well, there, there originally was an end date and then it was extended, then it's extended again. And it's almost like I've given up trying to get into a mindset. I, I'm not, well, I'm neither positive nor negative. I'm just accepting it now and so for I don't know like six weeks I was kind of in real positive admin businessy mindset I was sort of rewriting my website and getting everything ready and communicating with my patients and stuff and now I'm like forget that my energy's <laughs> just gone I'm just going to focus on myself and go for walks every day and and think of other things yeah because I just don't have the energy to to dedicate to a uh, without having a target you know it's weird yeah. It's exhausting. Yeah, it is. And as you said, Grizz, you know, like we keep getting these moving goalposts and, and sort of milestones and they sort of, it's hard to know. Like, it's like, I don't believe what you're saying anymore. And it's not because I think they're trying to mislead us, but I think they just genuinely don't know. And it's like, well, how do you prepare for something? How do you try and remain positive for something that you have no idea when it's going to come? It's, it's hard. It's sort of like you're living in limbo. As Jake said, you know, you start off being super motivated and wanting to capitalize on the time and then it's sort of hard. You just sort of fall into this sloth-like, mm. you know, way of being and, it, and, it, and it's difficult to stay positive and think about the future when you don't know when the future is going to be. Yeah. Do you, do you have any strategies to deal with that uncertainty? Yeah, absolutely. First things first, though, is I think you guys are now in the place of going, you know what, I can't control anything, so I'm just going to go for my walks. And if we can get into that mindset of saying, at the moment, I can't control it. So I've done my website. I've done all I can do. I'm going to enjoy this time and embrace mm. it and do things that maybe I've not done before. So we talk about optimism and the difference between positivity and optimism is optimism doesn't mean you're positive. What it means is that you're optimistic, that you can see a light at the end of a tunnel. And that's the bit that we're missing at the moment. So we've lost that optimistic outlook because we don't see the light because as you say, and quite rightly so, everything's changing and the goalposts keep moving. So we're usually being optimistic and it's there and it's going to happen and, and I can see it and I've just got to get to that end date. So looking for that is going to cause you grief. So I think going back to, and we talk about stability rocks and I know that a lot of people that I speak to, I say, you've got to have those rocks that are stable in your life every day to keep doing. And if that's going for a walk every day, going for a run, bringing a friend for a chat, whatever your stability rocks are, you've got to keep doing them. If you've got a to-do list, do the hard things first up. And the reason I say that is, you know, we'll have really slothy days and we'll have days that we feel really crappy. There's still things that we've got to do that might be going to the shops. And if you hate going to the shops at the moment because you've got to sign with your QR code, you've got to get your mask, everything's hard. Go to the shops first thing in the morning and then your hard stuff's done for the day and then you'll find good things to do and not knowing that in the background, I've still got to go to the shops and I've got to enter my QR code and I've got to do all these things that are really challenging for me. So a couple of tips is find your stability rocks and keep doing them. If it is that you meet a friend uh, in the park and do your exercise, keep doing that every day. Do not stop because the minute you start stopping that, that's when you become slothy 24-7 and you will go into a world of depression and sadness and you'll lose motivation to do everything. So, you, th you know, if it's making your bed every day, well, keep doing that. Don't just go, why bother making it? I can't, I might pop in for a, a lunchtime snooze. Make your bed and make it to go back for your lunchtime snooze. Keep the things that are real. If you love cleaning the pantry or love doing macrame, whatever it is, Try and do those things. Do your hard things first. And if you've got a project that you need to do for work, we talk about the 52-17 principle, and this is awesome. For 52 minutes, you say to yourself, and there's great apps that can count you down your 52 minutes, stay focused for 52 minutes, do what you need to get done, and then take 17 minutes off. Mm. Now, that 17 minutes might be to go outside for a walk. It might be to go and get a cup of coffee and read the trash, it might be to go and look at your Instagram. But 17 minutes, you think, I've just got to get through 52 minutes and 52 minutes goes really quickly. Your task is done. You're going to feel better at the end of the day because even as something as simple as making your bed, 
if you've had a really shitty day, the world's falling apart at the seams, you get home at night to a bed that you made and that's an achievement. So that 52-17 rule is really good to keep you on task, get whatever you need done for your work or your team or your bosses, and then go and spend 17 minutes doing what, have a bath, have a shower, walk outside, sit on your balcony and have a cuppa. It'll make you feel better. It's funny, I was talking to David the other day about um, our severe lack of concentration skills these days. I think David and I are really bad examples of that. But Struggle anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm sat at my computer and maybe stupidly I have my phone next to me and there's things pinging off every five seconds and then my emails come through and I just go down so many rabbit holes that the task I sat down to do almost invariably gets forgotten <laughs> and it keeps on happening. It's almost like I'm, I'm not learning my mistake of you know, hiding my phone or something mm-hmm. and turning off my email. I just, I don't know. It's weird. Like I, I think we're, it, it, modern technology and, and, and modern life is very overwhelming. You've spoken about it a hundred yeah. times before, David. Yeah. Well, you know, like these phones now are pretty clever. I mean, they turn us into superhuman cyborgs in, in some perspectives and you think about it. I mean, just because it's not implanted in our body, you know, they, they might as well be. Um, <laughs> You know, they give us these amazing abilities to know things, find facts, learn how to do something on YouTube, but they're also really clever at knowing all of our weaknesses too. They know exactly what ads to show you, what content to show you on YouTube, what posts to, to show you on Instagram. So it's almost the double-edged sword. And if you're in those moments of weakness or you're not on your game and feeling motivated, they, they can prey on your on your concentration weaknesses yeah. very easily. I think that's what thrown me so much in this lockdown is the lack of um, like a schedule. Like normally I, I'm still doing all these admin tasks when I'm working, but I know when I'm going to do it. So I'll get to work an hour early, blast all my emails, and then I'm ready to inject. Yeah. Whereas now I'm doing it in dribs and drabs and I, I don't have a diary anymore. So I'm mm. actually not, I'm, it's weird. I've got all this time and I'm achieving less. Mm. It's yeah. weird. But it's true. And you and the rest of the world are the same. And even I say to people, write your to-do list. So when you've finished your day and you've had a good day or a bad day, think about the things that you actually have to do tomorrow, write them down. And that thought of crossing them up. So literally write them on a piece of paper because our brain, the minute we cross it off, we feel like we've achieved something. Mm. And just say, I'm not going to check my phone for that 52 minutes because I'm going to do this. My reward is 17 minutes later, I can go and check my phone. And that's, and that's a whole habit thing. And, you know, it takes a long time to break habits and make new ones. But when you start doing it, you're going to feel good and you'll start achieving more and you'll feel more motivated and you'll have more energy and you really will. You know, life is tough and it's the most toughest it's ever been and it's probably the toughest that we'll ever see in the whole of our lifetime. Uh, but it makes you stronger and it's that resilience bit that we are starting to have to do. And even, you know, you talk about courage, having the courage to try the 52-17 rule. You know, we can sit here and talk to all of our listeners and say, do this, but actually going, you know what, I'm going to do it. And it's that courage and that fire in your belly that will get you to do it. And, and I say to people, if you haven't got fire in your belly, it doesn't matter about your motivation because the fire in your belly is what gives you the reason to want to want to go and do something. So get that fire in yeah. your belly, that'll produce the courage and then try this stuff. And you'll be shocked at how motivated you'll be and how much more you'll get from it. I feel, really, I feel really stupid asking this question, but what, where's the 5217 number? Is that like just an arbitrary figure that someone thought that sounds great or is there something no, scientific behind it? No, there's behind lots of studies it? behind okay. it. So you can actually tell go, us all yeah, about it. <laughs> so what it says is that your brain can't concentrate on too many things for too long. And it's like the rule of three, you know, and I've spoken to you guys about this before, yeah. but your brain is, it can't, and it wants to look at the phone because of the way we're wired now. So all the studies that have been done suggest that 52 minutes gives you, if you can concentrate 52 minutes, and you know that your brain at the end of it, your brain's saying, but then I've got 17 minutes off, you actually can do it. So it's saying to yourself, I'll put this timer on and you start doing your work. And before you know it, you're at 42 minutes and then you're at 52 and then you put it away, you go and do your stuff. And then you're much more able to come back to that task and pick it up again. Because if you try and do a task without having this 52 rule in place, you'll take five hours to do it because you'll be looking at your phone, you'll go out and unload the dishwasher. It's committing to saying, I'm going to give my brain 52 minutes to work on this task. Your brain will fire up on all cylinders and you will produce the best outcomes in a quicker amount of time. I think I need to reverse it around. I think I'm doing 17 minutes of work. <laughs> <laughs> 52 I was minutes. literally going to say 52 <laughs> minutes that, seems so really long. <laughs> 
I remember we, actually, we, I, I don't know if it depends on what the task is. When I was younger and, and they were trying to teach us how to prepare for exams and revise and stuff, I'm, I'm pretty sure they said half an hour is the maximum, you know, a normal person can concentrate. And then they need to sort of get up for 10 minutes and go to the loo and make a cup of tea and then come back. And then your mind is refreshed, ready for it again. But w- w- was that 52 minutes for a specific tasks or just anything? Maybe not studying for something like medicine, but if you've got a normal <laughs> yeah. task to do, you know, if you've got to write a piece, if you've got to do your Excel spreadsheet expenses, you know, something, a, a normal task of a day, mm. if you get your, and I'm not one for Excel, I don't even know how to auto summit. I'm just lucky that people populate it for me. <laughs> but if I've got to look at an Excel spreadsheet and I just think, you know what, I'm going to do my expenses for two minutes and I'm going to get money in my bank account because I've submitted them. Mm. And then your brain goes, right, oh, I can actually do this. And I get them done in 45 minutes. When it would normally take me five hours because I'd flick from that screen to my emails, to my this. It's just going, what am I going to focus on? Maybe not study-wise, but what can I focus on? And my brain is capable of focusing on something when it knows a reward at the end of it. Can I just go back to your concept mm. of stability, Rock? So yeah. I'm assuming, you know, people and, and family are one of the bigger ones, but what are the techniques or, or, or rocks are around to sort of ground people and make them feel a bit more stable about the whole thing yeah one of the big ones is what can you can control what can you can control that's not even a sentence Chris. it is now it is now <laughs> yeah. what can can you control uh, what can you control so think about at the moment you can't control covid you can't control lockdowns you can't control the numbers tomorrow so thinking about them doesn't get you anywhere So think about what stability rocks, what things can I control? And I'm going to make them part of my daily routine because that will give you back control. And no matter who you are, we all want to control something. Mm. You know, you think about people with eating disorders, they want to control what they're eating. You think about people who want to control, you know, their family. So everyone wants to control something. And what I want you to think about with your stability rocks is finding those rocks that you can control. So every day you still have control over something. Now, if that's control of running, if it's control of, you know, I'm going to bake a cake every day because that's what I love to do and I used to bake, then go and bake that cake. Mm. But whatever it is, be in control. And what are your current routines? Try and not go out of routine too much. And that's probably a thing that COVID has caused a huge amount of problems with is we've got no routine anymore. We don't go to the office with our homemade lunch from our dinner the night before. Yeah. We're eating more than we've eaten before. We're having Uber Eats more than we've COVID ever done kilos. before. COVID kilos, yeah. <laughs> COVID kilos. My dog, we were out walking yesterday because I walk in the afternoon just to get my activity up for my operation. And um, my a lady came up to me, she said, oh, what, what sort of breed is your dog? I said, oh, it's a Labradoodle. She goes, he's a bit chunky for a Labradoodle. I was like, yeah, he gets meals all day long now because we're at home eating. Mm. Um, so, you know, things that your current routines, try and stick to them because that's just stability rocks. And it makes you feel not as different to what life was before COVID. It's keeping those things, you know, if you practice the piano at four o'clock in the afternoon with your daughter, still practice the piano at four o'clock in the afternoon. Don't think, oh, I'm going to sit and watch Netflix. Mm. Get up off the couch away from Netflix and keep doing what you did as routine. So yeah, the three key outcomes for stability rocks is what's grounding you, keep doing it because that's going to keep you grounded what can you control and try and keep some routine in whatever that is. That's really good advice. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think that's easy as we sort of stated, you know, when you get into these stressful mindsets and unknown territory and, and fear for the f- fear about the future, you, those things can easily fall away very quickly and then all, of, all the things that gave you drive and passion and sort of made you who you are, you sort of then st- – they disappear and you start to almost lose your identity. You start to, you start to lose your mind almost. So that leads us nicely onto the next question that we wanted to ask you around, you know, this phrase that you are not your thoughts. Um, when I, very pertinent to, to where we're at right now. So can you explain that to us a little bit and how yeah. that's not true potentially? It's not true. Not true. You are not your thoughts. Uh, and this is a really interesting one. And, you know, there's a lot of research around this space, but every single minute your brain is just constantly thinking about things. Things you don't even know you're thinking about and all of a sudden these thoughts come in and we latch onto them. And the worst bit is, is we latch onto, and you would all know this, positive versus negative. We always latch onto negative. You can have a performance review with your manager and he can say or she can say you've done 25 amazing things. You've changed the company. You've changed the world. You've increased sales. And then they say one negative thing. And what do you think about the minute you walk out of that performance review? 
you do not think about the 25 great things. You think about that one negative thing and that's all you can think about. And then that manifests and it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And then all of a sudden all these other thoughts enter your head. And before you know it, you've had the worst performance review, even though you got five stars and a $20,000 pay rise, all you can think about is how crap you are. So what I encourage each of us to do is acknowledge the thoughts as they come in and then dismiss them. Why do we hang on to them? And we hang on to them because we start going, well, why would someone have said that? And I mean, something as simple as you could walk up to the door of someone and someone opens the door and they go, gee, you're ugly. Now, straight away, what is that thought? What do you do in your thought process? If someone was to walk in now and say, gee, you know what? You're ugly. How does it make you feel? What are you thinking about? Then you go, I am ugly and I haven't had my hair done and it's COVID and I haven't had any toxin. I've got all these wrinkles and I'm really ugly, which means that's defining me as a person. And straight away, a million thoughts are coming in. Now, that's just what one person said. You can choose to acknowledge that and go, really? Well, I think I'm really beautiful. Mm. Thank you for your... And so we need to start self-talking in the positive and not self-talking in the negative. And and I'm sure we'll talk about that shortly around, yeah. you know, positivity. But the thoughts that you are feeling don't define you. Acknowledge them because if you don't, they'll keep on swelling in your head. But push them out. Like who, they're just random thoughts and they're not even real. Like they're just some, you know, we make up all this stuff about ourselves. and I want you to start making up good stuff. You know, I walk around and I'll walk past a mirror and go, oh my God, you look so good today. I mean, it's so ridiculous and it's not about being arrogant, but I walk by and then I'll just walk along with a spring in my step and look back and go, hmm, Chris, you're not so bad yourself for 49 years old. So, And I make up all this silly stuff and I talk good stuff all day long and I talk about heels and I mean, I wear heels. I'm not allowed to wear heels at the moment. Um, I'm wearing Ugg boots and things. Yet when I'm sitting down doing my work, I still put my heels on. I'm wearing my leopard skin heels because it makes me feel good. Yeah. Now, as dumb as that sounds, that's the sort of stuff we want to promote. And promoting positive, when you do something good, say to yourself, oh my God, I just nailed that. I did a really good pitch or, oh my gosh, I just sent that article in and I love what I just did and I love that I could share my voice with the world. So instead of all the negative thoughts, start increasing them with more positive ones and we can give you lots of tips on how to do that. Why do we always go to the negative though? Why is it so easy to fall into that negative mindset or to catastrophize things? It seems like, is it human nature? Is that the way we're born? Or yeah, is, this just, is this just programming in our, from society? Yeah, it's well, certainly programming, but when you think about things, we buy on emotion and we justify with the facts. So every time you have a negative thought, that emotion is so much rawer than a positive one. You feel much worse when you get a negative thought than you do a positive one. So because that feeling starts to exacerbate, Mm. we start to think, oh my gosh, and that just takes us down this awful path. So it's all because the emotional connection to ourselves and and hearing negative stuff makes us feel awful. And there's always a time that you go back to in your brain when someone said something that made you sad. So then that your brain takes you back to that space and how you felt. And so it's just this manifestation of feeling bad and then on top of that, and then I am hopeless and then the world and then why bother? And then I'll just sit here and be sad. I don't know how I've related this to vaccines, but (laughs) as you were saying all that stuff about um, people focusing on the negative, Mm. immediately it popped into my head about, you know, when you hear people, lay people talking about their worries about vaccines, which are completely legitimate because it's scary and they don't know and it's not their field. They cling on to the terrible things that can Mm. very rarely happen and they completely bin Mm. anything else. And, and so I don't know why my mind went to that, but I, I, I related to what you were saying about how people are currently thinking about, you know, conversations that they're having with their families and their friends. It's almost, you know, like you said, catast- catastrophizing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, this, yeah. I mean, you know, Grizz, you know, share your thoughts if you, if you disagree. I'm, I'm just, Jake and I constantly joust back and forth on, <laughs> on WhatsApp late at night um, about everything that's wrong with the world and vaccines and, and we sort of uh, we put go, the world to rights. Yeah, we do. But, you know, one of the things I said to Jake is I think a lot of people's uncertainty is because there's so much weird shit going on. I mean, you know, where did the virus come from? Okay, did it come from a lab? Does it like all, all these weird things create doubt in people's minds, you know, people being you know, recorded as a COVID death and they got run over by a bus or they had stage four terminal cancer. And it's like, okay, well, why aren't you guys being fully transparent about this stuff? And I think that what happens is that you've got a lot of truth mixed in with misinformation, whether it was deliberately, mis- you know, represented that way or whether it was just the nature of humans and us making mistakes and being not sure. It's that that the truth and the untruths and it, it's sort of, and then people go, well, you're lying about everything. I don't believe it. And I think that's what's driving a lot of this uncertainty, especially for the average person like me. I'm not medically trained. I try and read and every news article you read tells you something else and they're getting more and more sensationalized to sell papers and get people to click. And you get to this, like you're, 
paralyzed by so much information you don't know what to believe anymore well we've like you said about the phone we've never had so much information at our fingertips and you know most people used to watch the news and that was it yeah and now we've got facebook youtube whatsapp and rumors and 20 different news channels and some of it's politicized in the states and wherever and you just don't know what to believe anymore and i you're right i think that's the problem yeah what do you think, Chris? Are we crazy? I agree. I cannot even negate what you're saying because you're 100% right. And and what makes me sad now is all these amazing, um, you know, intensive care doctors coming out saying, please get vaccinated, please. Yeah. I didn't, we have that early on. I mean, we had this awful campaign and, and it's just so sad that we've got to this point, but it's because everyone's got their own opinion and the media grabs bits and pieces. And we're not understanding that when people got hit by a bus, they're recorded as a COVID death because they're not medically attuned to what you guys and I know to be the case. So, you know, the layperson and layperson, just because they're not understanding of the medical fraternity, they're normal people. And so that's the only way they can get their information. And Mm. they've had so many information, diverse diverse information and people off track and everything is just so nutso that no one can make sense of anything. Well, perfect example, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, wear a mask, don't. I mean, they flip-flopped on that, especially in America. I've seen a lot of that weird stuff. And a, a part of it is that, you know, we're learning, we're all learning as we go. So it's hard to sort of point the finger at someone and say, you've done the, the wrong thing. But it's, there's an example of people just going, well, which is it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is it? And which vaccine's the right vaccine? And, you know, now people are saying, oh, I might wait for Moderna, the new one, yeah. because the only thing you get from that is a sore arm and nothing else. So, you know, there's now there's only one side effect from that, which is, you know, something that's even less than Pfizer or less than AZ. And and when you look at the blood clotting, well, it's only for special clotting people, isn't it? If the AZ one and you've got to have that clotting problem and all of this other stuff, it's just, it's not. And our poor brains are just going, we can't cope with any more of this stuff. So we don't want to listen to any of it. We'll just make our own decisions. Well, it's not normal to put, you know, medical decisions in lay people's hands. Like, which vaccine do you want? That's not normal. Most people just oh. go, well, there's a flu vaccine, I'll take it. you're given one choice it's very binary and it's you just do it whereas now yeah like you say i went on the covid um eligibility for vaccine website yesterday just to see if i could book a friend in you know just to sort of try it out and even i was like hold on a minute this is confusing (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it's um information overload i got a question about it's almost the opposite of the stability rocks so can you prepare for 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 unpredictability? Mm. Can can you sort of introduce or, or sorry? Can you get more comfortable with things being unpredictable? Yeah, you can. It's changing your mindset and changing the filters to which you view the world. So you know, when you wake up in the morning, you see all the news, as we said, on your phone. You get up, and your your brain is wired because there's so much negativity going on at the moment. Your brain is wired to only pick up on negative. So it doesn't actually pick up on anything positive. So what I would encourage people to do when we're thinking about how can we plan for unpredictability is by going, you know what, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to deal with what happens. I'm going to deal with the case numbers and I'm going to, but I'm going to find three good things in my day. Mm. And that's when we start retraining our brain. So to deal for unpredictability, it's you've got to change your brain to go and have a growth mindset. Because your fixed mindset at the moment is I'm going to wake up and this is going to happen and that's going to happen. But your growth mindset is I'm going to wake up and I'm going to embrace the world however I find it. So what we need to focus on is thinking about what are your three positives in a day? So when you go to bed at night and everything's been unpredictable and you don't know what's going on in the world at the moment, you sit there and you go, what three things were great about today? Now, it might be that you had a good coffee. Or it might be that you had a chat with, you know, Grizz on the phone. Or it might be that someone remembered your name. Now, they're really tiny things, but if you can start going to bed each night and writing down three great things that happened in that day, you'll wake up tomorrow morning and your brain will start to scan the world for positive and not negative. Mm. So even when you cannot change what's going on and there's unpredictability every five minutes, your brain's still looking for positive. It's not looking for unpredictability. It's not looking to try and change. If you can do this for 21 days and write down three things every day, you'll find it much easier to find three good things. And then when you wake up the next day, you're not looking for un- or worrying about it. You're going, I'm on my mission to find three good things that are going to happen to me today. Yeah. I was sort of trying to prep for, for our talk and I was doing a bit of a reading about that specific question that I asked. And it was like silly things like watching a TV show without 
reading the synopsis of what it's going to be about. You just go in, you know, and, and just go with, you know, just see if you like it or you don't, but you're not prepared to like it kind of thing. Yeah. Or um, try and make a recipe without, sorry, might try and make some food without following the recipe, kind of go a bit off piste. Yeah. Or when you go back to work, inject with your eyes closed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am not endorsing yeah. that on your podcast, boys. Joke, I am everyone. not joke. <laughs> I, But I guess um, it's about making people a little bit more resilient rather than it comfortable, is. I guess, is what I'm asking. And being prepared for the unexpected and yeah. being okay with that. That's the bit. You've yeah. nailed on the head. It's being okay with whatever you're about to be faced with. Is going, you know what? I can't do anything about this. I can't change it. So I'm going to roll with it. Yeah. I'm going to make the very best. Even if my menu that I'm trying to cook without a menu, my recipe, doesn't taste that great, I did it. I was able to make something that looked reasonable and next time I'll add some more salt and it'll taste better. So yeah. it's finding just different ways of looking at the TV show and not reading the synopsis, going on to Rotten Tomatoes and seeing how, you know, how much it was rated by viewers. Try it out yourself. Just give stuff a go. What's the worst that can happen? And I say this to people all the time as our brain thinks that, you know, what's the worst can happen? The recipe doesn't taste that great. Or I turned on the TV channel for 15 minutes and I didn't like it. Or what if I turned it on? It was the best series I've ever watched. Or what if I made this meal and I can now have a van out the front during COVID and make pizza for everyone that comes my way? Yeah. We, we've just got, <laughs> I've got a, f- a funny thing with my partner is that um, – we'll watch a show that we haven't seen the synopsis on and we give it 10 minutes. Yeah, we and, do the same. And during that 10 minutes, either of us have permission to switch <laughs> to switch it off we the, exactly the 10 the minute rule. Although normally if I've chosen, my wife will say, what's this about? And I'll be like, that's not the point. The point is to enjoy it and see if you like it. You should um, just make if, something up. Yeah, if I tell you what it's about, then you're immediately going to say, no, it's not my thing. Yeah. Or it is. Yeah. So well, think about kids. I mean, kids have this amazing growth mindset. They run and they fall over. They try to walk and they fall down. They they do all these things and they just get up and they keep going. Like mm. for them, their growth mindset is huge. And kids will make things out of Play-Doh and try, you know, think about going back and having a kid's brain. And if you can get into that space, that's why, you know, kids learn so much more than we ever do because they don't give up. Yeah. The nun study. You mentioned, mm. you mentioned this is a, a topic that we, we'd love to talk about. So Jake and I did a little bit of research on this. Yeah. Um, so just at a high level, um, mm. studies indicating that, you know, external stresses in your life and how, the, you know, how these sorts of things affect our brain and, and, and the way that we think. So can you talk on that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So what they did with the nun study was they decided to get 180 nuns at the age of around about 22. They were all going into a convent. And what they set up was 180 nuns, you have to write a journal of how you're feeling going into the convent on this particular day. They had to donate their brains to research and then there was a whole lot of stuff that happened in between. And what's been so extraordinary with the nun study is they all lived in the same environment. They all had the same opportunity for healthcare. They all did this, ate the same food, had the same routine every day, had the same religion. So everything was the same. What was different was their thought process going in. So the nuns that were happy nuns that went in going, I'm so grateful for this experience. I'm going to a convent and I'm going to love God and I'm going to meet friends and wear my special little um, habit and live happily ever after. (laughs) They were the ones, (laughs) those nuns that were happy with everything, they survived so much greater than what the nuns that didn't. So when you start looking at the studies and do you know what? I don't know that I've got, um, I haven't got the study with me. Uh, but it was what was crazy about it was the 85-year-old nuns, the ones that were happy were living so much more in their 85th year. And what was extraordinary was the ones that weren't happy were dying a lot younger. When they donated their brains to science, this is the most extraordinary book, but they donated their brains to science and they're on Life magazine. So oh, they, li- they literally gave their brain once they died to science. Mm-hmm. They right. donated their brains to science. I thought you were using it as an analogy of they no. were studying them. No, they donated their brains to science. Right. And do you know what they found? That nuns that were happy had advanced dementia, Alzheimer's disease and all these other diseases in their brain, yet they were living this normal life in the convent, doing their gardening. Mm. Not, Yeah, it's, it is phenomenal. It is absolutely phenomenal. And I actually thought I'd printed out the study so I could share it with you. And I don't know what I've done with it. So they were defying their – so they had the – what are physical, plaques. yeah, the physical characteristics of this disease, yeah, and they, they were still well, defined. Yeah, they had the physical, and it wasn't defined in their. Um, hang on, I've got. You know what? I've just got the study here. So survival rate at age eighty-five, most cheerful uh, quintile. Ninety percent of nuns that were happy when they went into the convent and did their journal were still living at eighty-five years old, and the most cheerful nuns 
54% of them were still living at 94 years of age, right? I'm going to say this might have something to do with no men. But then the unhappy nuns that had no men, they're less cheerful. Only 34% of them were living at the age of 85 and 11% at 94. So when you start looking at that stat, it's phenomenal. So, you know, the happiness nuns live 10 years longer than the less happy nuns and an 80% chance of getting to age 85 with the happy ones. And the least cheerful nuns only had a 54% chance of reaching 85 years old. And then in Time magazine, Sister Mary was referred to as a gold standard of healthy aging because the vibrant and full of life nun lived to over 100 years. Wow. Upon her death, they analysed her brain and revealed several lesions of signs of advanced dementia. Uh, and that could have caused her to have poor cognitive and health problems, yet she was this normal fancy living nun doing her nunnery stuff. So wow. that is data and that's what we want to be thinking well, about. Is so the nun study, how do people find this? They just Google the nun study? Yeah, or? Google the nun study. There is a lot of stuff on it and it's really revel- – I know that you're laughing at me, boys. Jake's but brain's about to explode. No, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just confused by the length of time of this study. So they're in their 20s and one of them reached 100. Yeah. So this is an 80-year-old study. Yeah. Wow. And there's so much – yeah, I know, it's phenomenal. It and is, and it was even on Time magazine, like front page news. I'm not talking great That's crazy. It is crazy, but it, it gives us hope to go, you know what, how insane is that? that just by thinking happy thoughts, you can effectively live longer. Yeah. I'm and guessing all the nuns are dead now, right? Yeah, all the nuns are dead now. Right. Mm. Yeah, they're all dead. There's none left. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, they can't die eventually. But another interesting, talking about the nun study, the other study that I love to chat about is the happiness advantage. Right. And we talk about, you know, your brain's in a happiness spot and it correlates really nicely to the nun study. But what uh, the study suggests, and there's lots of, again, research, if you look up the happiness advantage, is that if your brain is in a happy spot, happiness is what will make you successful, not the other way around. Success will not bring you happiness. Mm. Happiness will make you successful. And the data around this, and there's an amazing TED Talk with Dr. Sean Acor, and he speaks about it. He's done it for years of Harvard Business University data and all this stuff. But if your brain is in the happiness space, you sell 30 time, 37 times more effectively. So for salespeople, if you can be happy, you will increase your sales by 37%. Doctors are 19% faster and more accurate at coming up with the correct diagnosis if their brain is in the happiness space, we're three times more creative, 31% more productive, 40% more likely to receive a promotion. That's important. 23% fewer fatigue syndromes, 10%, uh, sorry, up to 10 times more engaged and more importantly, 39% more likely to live to 94. What was the source of that data, Grizz? Yeah, so it's the happiness advantage, Dr. Sean Acor. There's a million TED Talks on it. He's got a whole, I mean, there's studies everywhere. But I can feel a podcast with Dr. Sean Acor coming on. I think we should. Yeah, I think yeah. we should. We'll all be on it. I'll yeah. talk to him because it's really interesting. And it's all about reframing your brain to the positive. And if you do, you're going to live longer like the nuns, not see physical symptoms of advanced dementia or any disease, and you're going to sell more effectively. And you doctors out there uh, are going to have a correct diagnosis, 19% faster and more accurate. That's interesting. super interesting. Uh, sort of following on from there, and, and I mean this like genuinely, David sort of alludes to it when we first came on the podcast, you're known, anyone who's met you or even heard you on the podcast can hear the, you know, the the um, enthusiasm sort of oozing out of your pores, your, your, your tone of speech, your pace of speech, you're just, you know, you're, you're a positive kind of uh, happy person. But can you turn that on or is that just you or I mean obviously you can't just be a different person off the podcast but do you turn it on for business or are you just born like this because you're saying that happy people you know are more successful and yet some people are just grumpy shits and and so you can't (laughs) be happy you can't fake it can you no no you can't and mine is absolutely not faked and it annoys my family a lot of the time and this is the bit that I want to share with you about my toxic positivity um, because I, I'm a genuinely happy person because I wake up every day and I think I'm the luckiest girl in the world. Now, I'm, you know, I've had crazy. I've come from a divorced family. My parents are crazy, you know, alcoholics, you know, everything goes on. And, and I think I just wake up every day and think I wouldn't want to live a different life and I'm mm. so bloody lucky. And when, I, when I'm happy, I wake up and I just think, you know what, I can be miserable and it's hard to be miserable or I can be happy. And the more happy I am, the more people say, gee whiz, Grizz, thank you for making my day or thanks for changing. And that's what 
inspires me. So I wake up in the morning and it, at detriment to my family because Jamie Lee, the daughter, does not want me ringing her at 17 in the morning going, happy Thursday, how was your night, what would you do? <laughs> it's like, mum, I don't want to speak to you at the moment. So, you know, I have to be mindful and in my audience when I'm training, if I'm training a, a, a certain sector, if I'm walking into Bendigo Bank, I may have a, a lesser um, happiness. I won't run in and go, woo, it's good, it's time for training. <laughs> but I'll still have that tone and inflection because I'm still so grateful for being at Bendigo Bank. So it naturally and innately comes out. But my toxic positivity story, and this is something to think about, and I did a big segment on Channel 7 about toxic positivity. And I remember Dean had come out of his open heart surgery and we were so excited. And then he just wasn't recovering very well. And I said to him, there's something wrong with you. You used to, you know, be in Iraq and train police in Southern Baghdad and you're this amazing Superman. And now you can't make a decision about dinner. There's something wrong with your brain. You're not the person I fell in love with. And all of this stuff started happening. He's like, Grizz, don't be so ridiculous. Anyway, I finally got him to go and have a scan. And I remember sitting at the brain surgeon at St. Vincent's Private and he put up the scan and he said, Dean, you've got a brain tumour. And he said, we, um, if we don't operate, you'll die. It's similar to my circumstance. And if we do, you may come out with epilepsy, you may be brain dead, like all of this stuff can happen. Mm. So all I heard in that meeting was, you've got a brain tumour. Um, and I thought to myself, well, we can fix that. So we got into the lift and we went down to the car park. And I said to Dean, oh my God, how exciting, how exciting. You've got a brain tumour and we can fix it. His response to me was, at what part of the conversation didn't you hear that I can die? Yeah. I was like, I didn't hear it. All I heard was we can fix it. So we sat in the car and he cried. He was really upset and we got home and we had to tell Jamie Lee. And I said, quick, sign the forms because we had to get him to sign the forms. And he's like, I'm not having the operation, Grizz. Mm. Like, what do you mean you're not having the operation? Of course you're having the operation. Like, you are having this operation because we are getting that tumour out. So I was creating all this positive stuff in the house. Jamie Lee was bawling her eyes out and went, I don't like you because you don't get what dad's going through. Yeah. And Dean's like, I'm not having an operation. So I fought with them both for the rest of that day. And then I threw the paper back at them and I was like, you know what, do what you want. I don't care. Live or die. And then I got really angry because I just thought, why can't you see that this is what's been wrong with you and this is going to make you better. And all he could see was the word die. And I didn't even hear that. It was really interesting. So then I went and I had to go and train in Queensland and then I came home that weekend and then I had to train in Melbourne the week after. And I didn't ask him again about whether he was getting his tumour taken out. And then I got a text message with a photo of a signed form two weeks later yeah. saying I've chosen to do it. So that's when I went from normal positivity to toxic positivity. And I hadn't stopped to think about the other person. I was just in my happy la-la land and I caused grief to the two people I loved because all I could see was it's going to be okay. Why was it not going to be okay? Mm. And all I could see was me not caring about how they were feeling. Yeah. yeah. Well, sometimes people just need to go through their own processes Absolutely. and dealing with things. They need to go through the fear and the anger and, you know, the rejection of solutions and, and sort of find their way out. So I, I hear what you're saying. Mm. I guess in sort of general terms, in terms of people being happy or unhappy, I can't help but think that so many people out there end up doing jobs that they hate. They end up with people that they're, you know, they're not truly happy with. And, you know, maybe these are the decisions that we make early on that we're too scared to reverse or undo, which leads to this, you know, monotonous negative mindset. What do you think about that? I agree 100%. And I say to people all the time when I'm training them, they'll say, oh, I'm miserable. And, I'm, and I said, so go and find um, your strengths and do what you love yeah. because that's going to make you successful. Oh, I can't be bothered. I can't be. So it's that whole negative fixed mindset again versus growth, you know, and I say to people all the time, we can really change that by three simple words. First, I will, then I will, then I will. And that breaks your brain down. So if you want to change jobs, first, I will write a list of all the things that I love. Then I will start looking at the jobs that encompass the things that I love. And then I will fix my resume and then I will attempt to look for a job and then I'll find one. So instead of us just going, I've got to look for a job, I'm not going to do it, it's too hard. First I will, then I will, then I will. And if you break it down, and it's simple, I mean, it's no different to running a marathon. If you want to run a marathon, first I will put on my shoes every day for a week and walk around the block. Then I will put on my shoes, you know, in the morning and start slowly jogging with a friend. And then I will. So if we can start breaking things down, and I think people need to find the job that they love because we spend so much time in jobs. If you find the job you love, you will flourish. As I mean, we're all doing it now. And I think that goes back to why I'm so happy is every day I'm so grateful for what I do and I love it. 
you know, and I'd do it for free. I would never be paid for anything because I love what I do and it shines out and that's what makes you successful. If you're happy, you'll be successful. So as daunting as changing a job might be, if you just do the small steps and go, hang on a moment, do I want to live like this forever or do I want to go and achieve anything? And you can achieve anything. Like there's nothing stopping anyone doing anything. It's only your brain and your gut. That's like, I can't, it's too hard. I haven't got the fire in my belly to change. I don't think I'm going to play professional basketball, Grizz. So. <laughs> what? Well, not first I will shoot a Grizz, then I will travel over to America and we'll find you a basketball coach and then I will hang out with the team and then I'll do it. That's, that's, then I'll find someone to make me six foot seven. <laughs> it's possible. We'll in India, uh, we, we should do a podcast on this. There's yeah. a guy who specialises in leg lengthening. Oh, wow. Yeah, he does. So uh, we should get him on. Yeah, that'd be a very interesting one. Do we get Do we and get a discount? You, you and I. Me as a model. <laughs> yeah. Two can for you one. Yeah. As a model. Yeah. I want to get leg lengthened. Oh, I want foot, and I reckon I've got cankles. So I would. There's like another weird lengthened. one that I came across that apparently is quite um, normal. Well, I say normal. It's available in Sydney. It's toe shortening. What toe length shortening? Oh, really weird. Can you imagine? I, pay, I just kick my <laughs> I, I kick my toe on a pebble and I cry. Can you imagine having it <laughs> shortened? Jeez. That would be awful. I mean, it's crazy that people are doing this stuff, isn't it? I mean, now we're looking at knee surgery for those older knees. You can have the wrinkles in your knees looking different. It's just, it's phenomenal what you can do. Please, though, if you don't love what you do, find something that you do love because I always say focus on your strengths hmm. because if you focus on your strengths you're never ever going to be sad and you'll enjoy doing you know there's going to be crappy parts of yeah. any job but if the majority of the job is stuff that you love doing then find that and just go out there and start achieving it you know yeah. bit by bit well it flies in the face of, sorry Jake it flies in the face of what we get well especially when I was at school and in my formative years people always telling you um, work on your weaknesses hmm. and work hard and you got to push through all the pain and all these sorts of things. So it's almost like we've taught to do the unpleasant things and sometimes they're necessary in life, right? No matter what you do, but going and finding the job that you absolutely love, it was uh, that was something that was never really enforced to me when I was growing up. It was sort of like, it's it's got to be hard and painful or it's not worth doing or you're not doing the right thing. Yeah. I th- well, I didn't know when you were younger, but you've always said that you, you didn't really enjoy school. You, no. didn't, you didn't conform. No. You didn't have much focus. No. And maybe school forgot that, you know, there I'm must what? have been something that you enjoyed. Yeah. But they just didn't identify it. I think yeah. Some people have different ways of learning, I think. For me, for my, my, for me, my biggest challenge was I find it virtually impossible to do things that I don't enjoy doing or that I yeah. don't see the value in it. You know, so for me... You know, when they're teaching me, you know, trigonometry and advanced mathematics, I'm like, I'm never going to use this. I'm not interested in flying a shuttle into space or designing a car <laughs> or any of that shit. You know, like, so for me, it was like, I don't understand. And therefore, I just became disruptive and hated it and, you know, started getting in trouble and all those sorts of things. It's like, mm. I don't see the value in this. And then my mind just goes, no, nah, off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's so true. And so but look at the entrepreneurs now that are like 20 years old that are building games and they're fearless, aren't they? They're like, oh, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to leave school and become this crazy person because I think I can. And it's their mindset of this generation more so than because they're not being told they can't do anything and they've got access to so much stuff. So they try stuff. I mean, you look at Instagram vloggers and podcast. Well, what we're doing now, we would never have done this years ago. We would have thought only radio people can do this sort of stuff. Mm. So don't underestimate the power of your brain. And if your brain is giving you the permission to go and do something, bloody go and do it. Last question or two, because I know know that you're in a a tight schedule, Grizz. And this is really weird. I I didn't do this deliberately. I've stumbled across some body language experts on YouTube in the last day or two. It's fascinating. You know, and and particularly watching them, you know, watch uh, famous people who are sort of denying things like Prince Andrew and, you know, all that kind of stuff. (laughs) It's so fascinating. (laughs) I would hate to be in the royal family at the moment. Yeah. Or Michael Jackson or whoever. And um, one of the things obviously you do is, is... potentially talk to people about their own body language and and maybe choice of words and and, and all that kind of stuff. Can you learn that? Or, Mm. you know, obviously some things can't be masked, which is why these body language experts can can see it. But can people learn to be better or, or even influence their own mindset by being more mindful of how they present themselves? 
Yeah, Dr. Amy Cuddy talks. There's a lot of data in, in her space. And again, another great TED Talk if you want to watch this sort of stuff. But your body, I mean, your body says so much more than your words will ever speak. Mm. So you can share. I can see how people are feeling fully loved by their body language. What's interesting with some of the studies, though, is what we want to do is when we're in a situation that we're a bit scared of or we're worried for a job interview, and especially with COVID, some of us might be needing to change careers, is they've studied a whole lot of people and they've realised that when you're in a stressful situation, your cortisol, which is your stress hormone, is higher and your testosterone is down. We can do some really simple what we call power poses in body language and that will increase our testosterone and decrease our cortisol so that when you walk into an environment or a job interview or a pitch that you've got to do or you know, looking at a clinical paper you've got to read to become something in pharma, your testosterone is high and straight away you are oozing confidence and that's what the person who is watching you wants to see from you. They're going to believe you if you lose confidence. So there's some really simple power poses and one is simply looking like Wonder Woman. So as you sit here now listening to us, put your hands on your hips and if you just put your hands on your hips and you're standing up tall and you do that for a minute to two minutes, the testosterone will increase and your cortisol will decrease and before you know it, you are feeling more empowered. Think about when you're going for a job interview or you're waiting to meet someone to do a pitch. You're normally filling out a form and you're hunched over. And the minute you're hunched over and you're filling out your form, you are making yourself a little person. So that is not increasing testosterone into your brain. It's increasing that cortisol. So you stand up from filling out your form for your job interview or you stand up from ready to go into your pitch and you're looking down at the magazine or you're looking down at your phone and you're this rolled over body. You walk in and you don't ooze confidence and you're not spread out. So if you don't want to do Wonder Woman, even in the bathroom, before you walk into the meeting, holding your hands above the air and making like a big YMCA, like do the Y of YMCA. And all of a sudden you'll just feel different and your hormones will change and that will change the way your interview goes and you'll ooze confidence. So thinking about that small, always smile because the minute you smile, people find it really hard to be cranky and that's a genuine smile. Uh, and a really, really important story. And I know that um, we don't have too long, but I would love to share this story sure. because it talks about, um, I was on Channel 7 and I spoke about smiling for nine minutes and I hung up. I didn't hang up. I walked out of the studio and three days later, a guy called Duncan called us at Channel 7 and he said, I need Grizz's phone number. I want to speak to her. And Channel 7 said, look, we can't give you Grizz's phone number, but we'll pass on the message. Mm -hmm. Channel 7 didn't pass on the message. Duncan kept ringing for five days. I need to speak to Grizz. I need to speak to Grizz. I need to speak to Grizz. And so on the fifth day, Seven rang me and said, sorry, Chris, this Duncan guy keeps calling. We don't know if he's a stalker. I thought, fine, he spent five days calling Channel 7. He deserves my call. So I rang him and I said, hi, Duncan, it's Chris from The Morning Show. How can I help you? Chris. And he had this really gruff smoker's voice. Chris, I need to talk to you about your smiling segment. It's like, oh, what do you mean smiling segment? He said, you're on doing the smiling segment. And he said, I was doing up my shoelaces on the end of my bed, about to go and see my wife who's dying of metastatic end-stage breast cancer. She's in a hospice. And so all of a sudden he said to me, I stopped and I listened to your nine-minute segment. And he walked into the room and he said, I opened the door. And when I opened the door, she was having her morning tea. It was, you know, or it must have been her lunch, having her lunch. And she turned around and I opened up the door and I smiled. And he said she burst into tears. And I was like, oh, no, this is when Duncan's going to be really angry with me because I've made his wife cry. And he said, Grease, she said to me, that was a smile that she saw when she was about to walk down the aisle to marry me. Oh. He said, when I turned around and he, she said to me, that was all I needed. She said, I just wanted to see that smile one last time. So he rang his boys and they were 18 and 21. And he said, do not walk into your mother without smiling. Mm. He put a big um, do not enter unless you're smiling on the door. And he said, our whole room has changed. He said, we are laughing and we are smiling and I just want to say thank you. So when you start looking at body language, you can smile with your eye contact. You can smile with your face. You can smile with open body language, but that's what changes the world. And if you just give someone a smile, even during COVID, even on Zoom, even a smile in your voice on the phone, you can be like Duncan and it changes their world. And his wife passed away seven days later and they rang me and invited me to the funeral. They said, because those last you know, 10 days with her, the room was just different because we smiled. Wow. wow. I don't think we can. Uh, I don't think we can top that. I think that's a, a nice way to potentially end our chat with Grizz. Yeah, definitely. And you know, and just to reflect back, mm. you know, just me getting onto the podcast today has given me a bit of an oomph. Yeah, I kind of too. feel like I'm back in business mode, wow. I'm thinking about positivity, and you know, get to chat to David and yourself, and <laughs> it's good. I feel like I'm back in the groove. 
You are back in the groove. First I will, then I will, then I will. Super and it Jake. is just three things. Yeah, just so thank you, Grizz. Thank no, you for the insights. Thanks and for having me. Thank, thank you for you. having me. We wish Always you well and your recovery. And, mm. um, yeah, we'll, we'll be in touch. Yeah, and we'd love to have you back in person once all this madness has passed. Maybe we'll do a we'll do a double podcast with Dr. Sean Acor. Maybe we'll, we'll team up on him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll sort what it. you call we'll that? Sort it. Is there a word That's for a double yeah, podcast? Power cast. I don't know. A power cast, right? Oh, there you go. How good would that be? Yeah. Why can we not? Let's try. It. I should. am on your mission. I'm going to email him. Let's do it. All right. Okay. Get him on together. I'm up for the challenge. Yeah. All right. Why not? Bring on the awesome. challenge. First, I will email him. Thank Later, you. dudes. Thanks, Have a great And we'll put your details at the bottom of the podcast description for anyone who wants to reach out to your company or yourself. Yep. Thank you for coming. Really appreciate. You know, you've got lots of things to do, meetings to go to, people to positively influence. Thank you. Thank you very much and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thanks, Bye. Chris. For our latest news, upcoming guests and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at Inside Aesthetics Podcast. During the week before every recording, look out for our Instagram stories as we'll give you the opportunity to submit your questions to our guests and get a shout out. You can also DM us for any other information, suggestions or guest requests.